You are listening to SNA Live, a podcast like no other. What's good, cigar fam, and welcome to SNA Live, the podcast not just about cigars and cigar lounges, but life in general. Because if you're smoking cigars with your peoples in a nice lounge and only talking about cigars, you've missed the whole motherfucking point. We're recording, as always, from Smoking Ashes Cigars and Haberdashery here in Teaneck, New Jersey, the hottest cigar lounge in the Northeast. With me, as always, are my partners, Malik and Ryan. Say what's up. What's going on, fam? What's up, fam? This is episode number two, State of the Union. Today's topics will be an update of where we are at with the criminal charges of the police officers that brutally murdered our brother George Floyd. The protests and how people are responding and how the police are responding to those people protesting. The protesters and themselves and who is making up that group. History of us protesting in this country. Looters versus peaceful protesting and the White House's response to the issue at large. With that being said, cut your stick, light them up, and let's get it poppin'. Welcome to SNLA Live, a podcast like no other. Featuring three the hard way. You, you want it, you got it. Yes, yes. Welcome everybody to another episode. SNA Live Podcast, episode number two. State of the Union Address. Hosted by Three the Hard Way. Get your sticks, get your drink, get your seat, and let's rock. Welcome, welcome to episode number two. Now, in light of the theme of today's show, all cigars that we're smoking today, all the booze that we're drinking today, that we're indulging in tonight, are black-owned companies. So, Malik, maybe start us off and tell us what you're smoking over there. Yes, yes. So, I am smoking the Pure Soul. This is um, this is from a good friend of ours, uh, Robert Wright. He's based out of Mount Vernon, New York. Uh, if you're from Money the, earning. Yes, yes. If you're from the area, you've probably seen him. He's also a jazz musician. Um, he actually performed here at the lounge for us. Uh, great guy, uh, good music, and even more importantly, a really good cigar. So, uh, you know, I thought today... Why not? Why not go with something uh, black-owned and uh, pure soul? This is a Honduran Puro. I would say it's a, I would say medium to full body, full-flavored cigar, and um, just just lit it up, and I'll, I'll let y'all know as I go. What you got over there? Right, what you got, man? Well, uh, again, I I, I I have to be biased. I stuck with my man Caesar. Shout out Caesar. Camino Cigars again, doing the TMM. Uh, beautiful Dominican cigar again. Cigar, you know, um, yeah, he's the one that brought me back to Dominican tobacco that made me really start appreciating it all over again. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, yeah. So you know, he came in with this Criollo '98 wrapper. You know, he's got a Criollo 2020 binder. Nice. You nice. know, like I mean, this it's full bodied. It's a great stick. You know, it's well put together. Um, uh, the, the flavor nuances change. You know, it's got it's got the character balance. I mean, it's just a great stick, man. But uh, big shout out again to Caesar. Caesar, shout out Caesar. This is that TMM. And uh, by the way, Conway, what are you smoking then? So, I got the El Caminos, which is basically well, also from Caesar. 
Uh, this is the Toro version. They have the Toro size and they have the Robusto. Uh, and if I remember correctly, I believe this is the Dominican Hybrid. That's yes, correct. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes. Great stick, really smooth. I haven't tried the TMM yet, so I got to jump on that maybe next episode. But um, yeah, definitely a smooth cigar. Um, I usually do the Robusto, but considering today's episode, we might go a little longer. I went with the Toro. That's a good choice. Good choice. Yeah, always good a good choice. look. Always a good definitely look. A good choice. So with respect to the liquor that we're drinking tonight, we have Uncle Nearest 1884 Whiskey. Now, little backstory on Uncle Nearest Whiskey. Great story. I love this story, man. Most people know about the whiskey Jack Daniels, right? Iconic brand, people know about Tennessee whiskey. So, Jack Daniels. So now, what ended up happening was the person that was actually, originally, when this company Jack Daniels first started, that was making the batches and it came up with the recipes that made the batch what it was and made it the icon that it is today, what people don't realize is it was a black man named Nathan Uncle Nearest Green out of Lynchburg, Virginia. Crazy. That's so crazy. Yeah, especially the town that he's from. Lynchburg. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Lynchburg. Exactly. Understand how how that must have felt back in yeah, the day. Exactly. Okay. And the Driving. fact that it's still a, a, and a city it's now. Still the name. Yeah, haven't changed it anything. Yeah. So yeah. what ended up happening was you know the family so this granted this is back in the, in the 1800s so what the family ended up doing was suing the family of jack daniels saying hey look you know, we came up with this recipe we put in the work what we got none of the notoriety and obviously none of the money yeah so there was a lawsuit now granted what they ended up getting pennies on the dollar nothing compared to what they were no of course. not at all not at all but you know what they did they took that money they started their own brand which is what we're drinking tonight and not only did they start their own brand, it's been nominated, not even nominated, excuse me, it's been named one of the top five whiskeys by Cigar and Spirits Magazine. Top five, not in the state of Virginia, not in the city of Lynchburg, not in the United States, but the world. The world, Craig. The so world. <laughs> the fact that they took this whiskey, which was a more uh, a newer whiskey, you know, newer than obviously Jack Daniels that had this legacy of this iconic brand top five whiskey straight off the bat and this is not even the, the highest level one this is just like the, the base level that we're drinking but smooth you know it's got, it's got a little kick to it little body we'll, we'll yeah. put you on your ass if you sleep on yes, it yeah it is a great yes, taste of whiskey yeah. too it doesn't have that hard uh, like that it's bite. not like yeah it's not, not the bite is not there and it's not like heavy yeah but still you still get that, that uh, caramel taste to it you very know, light but it's light yeah. very light Definitely, definitely. Nice pairing. So, yeah, because of, in, in light of the theme of what we're doing today, you know, we had to make sure that everything that we were drinking and smoking spoke to you know, what we're talking about today. Yes, and sir. speaking of that, I'm going to throw it to my man, Rye. He's going to explain why we decided to go live for this episode. Yeah, so just so everybody knows, like, uh, we will be going live from time to time when we feel the need to, uh, especially when there's uh, something that is as... Uh, big and monumental is what's going on in our world today right now so we wanted to be as up to date with our information as possible when we decided to do this pod so doing it live uh, allowed the the camera opportunity but we really wanted to make sure that our material was literally the same material you guys would know up to today and if you didn't know we hope to be able to school you guys with a little bit of stuff uh, as far as the podcast goes just so you guys know we will record some lives like this, and then there will be times where, because you obviously know we are sitting in 
Smoking Ashes Cigar Lounge, you know, so we won't be able to record live all the time. We would pre-record and, uh, you know, always make sure that our audio pods are available on our platforms and we'll make it, you know, we'll make it known which uh, way we'll be going during the week. So we'll let you know if we're going to go for a live shoot or we're going to, you know, go for a recorded shoot. And, um, so you should be following us on social media and then if you're following us there, like, you'll find out every week, you know, whether it's going to be live, whether it's going to be recorded. Correct. We're always going to keep you posted, you know, whether or not it's going to be dropped live or pre-recorded. But either way, still follow us. Make sure you keep it up to date. And we'll always let you know. Yeah. Again, we're on YouTube. We're on Instagram. We are on Facebook. I mean, you guys can follow us everywhere. And please Don't bear with Twitter. us, too. Yeah, Twitter as well. Sorry about that. Again, uh, you know, we're just new to the pod, and so sooner or later we'll probably end up having a live, live stream audio and, yeah, you know, yeah, things sure. of that nature. But we're growing, you know, so we appreciate you guys being here with us right no now. No doubt, no doubt. So before we get into the episode, we just want to spend a, send a, a special RIP to the brother George Floyd, who obviously, if you don't know, must have been living under a rock, but a couple of weeks ago was viciously murdered by members of the Minneapolis Police Department. Um, so now that we've seen the filmed murder of Brother George Floyd, going into this episode, we're going to talk about how this country is, is responding as a whole and how we are responding to this crisis. And that's what it is. It's a crisis. It's it an is. assault on our people and how we've come out in droves protesting, how you know, our culture has, has you know, come out in shown support and how our culture now keep in mind at the end of the day this is a cigar lounge it's a cigar podcast so we want to start off with talking about our culture within the cigar culture and the support that you know, we get and how that's resonated with the people with respect to the incidents of what's going on today in the country so I'm going to throw it to my man Malik over here because we got a, a call in from a brother that's uh, well known in the cigar industry in the New York City metropolitan area, Mr. Ade McCoy. But I'm going to let Malik break it down as to who this brother is. Yeah, so we thought it was only right based off the topic um, of today's show with not only just racism in this country, but then something else, something else that happened recently um, for any cigar community uh, with the CEO of Gurkha. Uh, coming out with some racist comments, and um, we thought, why not have somebody call into the show and not only talk about, again, just overall racism, but specifically within the cigar industry. Um, this brother has a lot to say. He, um, he has a lot of views. He's been around for a while, and more importantly, he's a good friend of ours, man. Uh, we met this guy about seven, about six, seven years ago at the Cigar Inn. Um, the, the old cigar and not the not the new cigar. Yeah, the old, the original cigar. The original. When when we were allowed in there, you know, back in the days. Um, and you know, he was we, we were introduced by a mutual friend, uh, C. Quillen. Kurt, what's going on, man? Kurt was um, good. As you were. As you were. Um, and he just said, hey, you got to meet this brother. You know, he's he's a good guy. You know, he knows his stuff, and you know, he he definitely could be instrumental. Um, obviously, you know, when we. Uh, we were new to the scene, so obviously coming going to cigar lounges is, was new to us. But you know, this guy welcomed us with uh, open hands and um, open arms, I should say. And he he was just he was real monumental for us. You know, just seeing what he was doing, his movement. He is the co-founder of 
Grown and Sexy Cigar Group. Um, they actually just celebrated their 10 year anniversary. 10 right? years. 10 years. That is yeah, a staple yeah. right there. Definitely, definitely. And uh, these, Shout these, out GSN. Yes, yes. These guys are a monument to anybody from New York, you know, New Jersey area. I'm sure you, you know about this group. Um, you know, hundreds deep. And uh, again, we just wanted to bring him on. On top of that, if you follow him on social media, you know he has a lot to say of what's going on right now. <laughs> so, again, we had to bring this brother on. He also had his own cigar, so he actually was in the cigar industry. If anybody had the pleasure of having the uh, Dandy McCoy, great cigar to this day. That's probably one of my top ten cigars I've ever had, and I'm not just saying that because I know the brother. But, um, you know, that's it. Let, let, let's just get to the man. Um, let me introduce Mr. Ade McCoy. I dare you there, brother. Yo, what up, Brody? What's going on, man? What's going on? I appreciate you. What's Thanks, fellas. I dare you. What's good, brother? How you doing? I'm good. I'm all right, man. Taking it easy, man. Thank you for having me, fellas. No, definitely, man. Definitely. And like you said, um, you know, I was, I was giving a little backstory, but you, you, you know, we go back, man. You, you've always been a very monumental, um, you know, almost like a, a big brother for us, man. Just especially, you know, navigating through this cigar industry, and you know, we. Again, that was one of the reasons we did want to bring you on, just so you can speak. We know you have a lot of history in this business, and we know for sure, based off, like, like I said, anybody who's followed you on social media, you've been through it, and you've kind of witnessed, you know, the, let's just say, it, the racism that goes on in the cigar industry. <laughs> Am I right, brother? Am I right? Uh, 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 absolutely. Okay, okay. Well, first, you know, let's, let me just... Um, give you a little platform to um you know talk about anything you have going on but specifically tell us what was your motivation um behind starting the grown and sexy cigar group give everybody the backstory about that oh absolutely uh what you got to understand is that i'm a i'm a priest cigar boom kid like me and kevin we're from the priest cigar boom era that's around 1994 where when you go inside the lounges there wasn't too many uh black people in fact there was hardly any at all Okay. And that's a whole nother story that I want to explain to y'all that really explained, uh, it really delved into the racism, the racism in the cigar industry. Okay. So, uh, well, to make a long story short, um, GNS was created on a site called socialcigar.com. And before GNS was created, I had a group already, a cigar group already that called Classic Men. And there was my man, Hev. It was my man, Aaron Simon. It was my man, Big Rob. And, you know, we'll just be outside smoking cigars, whatever, whatever. Okay. So uh, GNS was basically formed from from classic men. Uh, uh, I met Kevin with com. That was a site that was sponsored by Camacho, and it was ran by a guy named Dylan Austin. I think Dylan Austin was, I think, uh, Someone, so he had a sales position or something like that, and for Camacho, he was a you know he's a, he was big, and um, we wanted to change the atmosphere forever because we were so used to that very same atmosphere. So once we got a hold of all the cigar smokers from all over the United States that were of color, you know what I'm saying? It it, it, it warmed my heart. Like look at all these cigar smokers, like black, because for the most part, you know we. We would smoke cigars by ourselves yeah, for yeah, years. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You go outside and smoke yours. We didn't have a home. Gotcha. And that that also that's also uh, something I need to delve into in regards to racism in the industry. How it began. You know what I mean? It's infancy. How it all started. Uh, but right now, I'm just going to address. Uh, I'm just going to address how GNS started and and 
that's uh, that's basically it. From then on, Bass, Billy, and Gus seeing the potential. It, it was, I think, it was their genius that actually seen the potential, uh, and and this new market of of cigar smokers. Because when we first got inside cigar, and it was stockbrokers and lawyers yes, and sure. barber chair and. These guys would come in like, oh my God. So we changed the atmosphere for the urban cigar culture forever. Gotcha. It'll never be the same. And there's a philosophy behind that, so. Okay, okay. Now, um, tell us about, I mean, you can give specifics, obviously, you know, you know, keep it a little short, but give us some specifics of some things that, you know, whether it's, you know, one, one particular instance or, um, you know, just an overall overall situation where you that's where, where you initially when you first got into the into the industry where you um, you know saw what was going on as far as how they were trying to keep our people out of the you know the so called you know uh, high high end cigar lounges. Is any any specific instances that you can recall that happened? Well, it's it, 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 as long as the, in the times that we are now. I mean, you gotta understand. I, 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 I was in the lounge, like in the mid, like, like, like I said, in the mid, um, in the mid '90s. And there was this place in Manhattan that I used to work close by called Davidoff's. No, not Davidoff's. I'm sorry, Dunhill's. It was Alfred Dunhill. I'm pretty sure Peter Quillen know all about Alfred Dunhill, fashion guy. So he know about Alfred Dunhill. So these are these are clothes designers, right? He, they make suits, real high-end suits, but. Their store had a cigar lounge at the top of it. And uh, when I go, you know, when I used to go in this lounge after work, there was nothing but these rich guys all standing around the lounge. It was more uncomfortable than anything and unwelcoming than anything. You know what I mean? It didn't it didn't feel like I was welcome. So I just get my cigar and I walk back out. And that, I think that's the reason that, that goes back into why I really created, you know, the GNS. It was deliberate, deliberate why GNS was formed. It was a deliberate, deliberate uh, to change things. I was like, feeling, I was all into my Obama shit. Like, you know, <laughs> I wanted to change shit. So I said, yo, listen, this got to stop. And Kevin, you know, Kevin was right on board with me, like, because he's from that time, even before me. So... That's what happened, you know what I mean? I mean, like, it was more you not feeling comfortable and things just needed to change, you know? There was, I mean, like, uh, as far as experiences, you know, they, you know, sometimes you're gonna feel alienated. I used to go and I feel a little alienated a little bit, you know what I mean? Um, they ask me certain questions or say certain things that, you know, that's a little bit offensive, you know, stuff like that, you know what I mean? But, you know, I, I, I you know, I was, I was woke then, but I was receiving, you know, the fact that I was inside a lounge and now finally get to enjoy myself and relax. Now I have to always smoke in the street all the time. It was much better. You know what I mean? So I, I took everything uh, with a grain of salt. Thank, thank you for that. Um, so, I mean, so based off that, what you saw years ago, do you feel we've made some progress? And if so, um, you know, how do you feel, at least the urban cigar culture, where do you think we are now versus, you know, when you first got in, you were feeling uncomfortable? Do you think we've made any progress since then? Oh, well, that, that all, like, that's a good question. I mean, uh, uh, at one time, I believe we was making progress. We were making, we was, make, we was making progress. We was making progress in regards to uh, 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 making these uh, cigar, well, mostly the boutique brands, because boutique brands, 
you know, they emerged. They emerged in the late in the late '90s and the early 2000s, and that was because a spike in sales after the cigar boom. Now, Marvin Schenken and Cigar Aficionado, they'll say that the spike in sales post, you know, um, after the cigar boom is because of his publication. I believe that the spike in sales was because the urban cigar smoker finally found a way to uh, invest in their relaxation in the premium in, in the premium cigars, and that's what I believe. That's my philosophy. Like he believes one thing, I believe another. He believes it. He since he created the publication in 1992 or 91 or whatever he created it, that the spike in sales uh, had increased, which it did because. Uh, post uh, pre cigar, you know, pre cigar boom, it was really, really bad. Like in the '80s, it was real bad. They didn't, they didn't sell no cigars then. They, they it kind of steadied off until the mid '90s, and I believe that's because of us. So I believe we did make progress, but I think we're kind of like losing control. I think we're starting to lose control a little bit, you know, with with all the dissension in the cigar groups. So the cigar groups is formed so that we can form together. And it seems that uh, we're kind of straying away from the whole from the whole brother of the leaf thing, the real meaning behind it. We have a lot to learn about this culture. There was a time where I could go inside a cigar lounge and put my lighter down or put my liquor down and don't have to worry about anybody picking it up. There was lounges that were like that. Well, I could just just leave anything, but I, I just now it now it, it's become this atmosphere of tension and arguments and shit like that. Like that's just showing that that's showing the other side that we can't have nothing, no matter how much we do for them. And I'm sorry, I'm, you give me a little bit of latitude here. Um, our dollars is very, very strong in this industry, in the cigar culture period. Very, very strong. The spike in sales from the urban cigar smoker haven't gone unnoticed by the big brands. Even the boutique brands, they know this. They know. But the, uh, they don't want to bet the ranch on their core audience. You understand what I mean? We got you. No, I definitely understand that. I definitely Go ahead, continue, continue. Yeah. They don't want to bet the ranch on their core audience. That's the reason why advertisements on uh, of, of African Americans ain't really broad yet. Yet. Because I'm going to tell you like this. If you don't understand the philosophy behind uh, 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 the emergence of this uh, urban cigar smoking and, and you don't understand it, then you're going to get left behind. And I'm talking about the big brand. If you don't start putting us on now, because we're going to just keep continue to grow and grow and grow. And that's only because uh, 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 your relaxation and my relaxation is entirely different. Entirely different. This is a new relaxation for us. Your relaxation been happening, happening for Lord knows how long. Since pre-embargo, post-embargo, pre-cigar boom this was all like white America these guys was uh, middle to middle to late age white guys that was just sitting in the lounges and chilling they'll smoke a Padron the first quarter there's a Padron they put it out and they good us once we got a hold of this shit man we frowned on somebody putting the Padron out without smoking that motherfucker to the cap (laughs) (laughs) I feel you bro I feel you man (laughs) Oh man! So uh, let me ask you this. Um, 
So obviously, you know, we've there's been some news in the cigar industry uh, with the uh, CEO of Gurkha. I can't pronounce his name. And to be honest, I don't even want to give. Him, I don't even want to say his name. Um, <laughs> what are your thoughts behind that? And you know, obviously, they tried to come come back afterwards with some time of you know lame ass apology. But uh, obviously, you know, we we're not stupid. We we know what that is. Um, Didn't they say his his uh, his phone was hacked? Yeah, yeah no, they said his phone was hacked. Yeah, and then, they said it was hacked. And then later it. on, they said we, we we you know we don't stand by it. And he he resigned, and you know he's not the CEO. Obviously, he's still gonna keep getting paid. So what yeah. what did you really do to him? You know, you didn't hurt his pockets. You know, his reputation might be messed up, but he, he's still getting paid. But anyway, what do you think? What are your thoughts behind that? I, I know you, I saw you post something. Uh, you know, I think it was yesterday or the day before. But you know, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Oh, you know, it's heartbreaking. You know what I mean? It's heartbreaking when you find out these guys, when you, you know, but it's, it's, it's a teachable moment for all of us. You know, um, there's racism in any, in, in all industries, there's racism, you know, and as much as we want to believe because we're such a close knit community and we're so outside of the norm, we want to believe that we are real brothers of the leaf and we're, we're different. And it's this patchwork of solidarity between all colors, but that's not the reality. We still live in this world. So, I mean, it's heartbreaking that Kaiser, uh, Kaiser, cause I, took, I, I met Kaiser maybe about 10 years ago myself. I went out to Jersey to an event of his and with uh, with some friends, with my, you know, with classic men. And no, it was longer, it was like 2000, 2008, 2009. And I met him, he was real cool. I mean, he was a cool dude. So it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. But I mean, but this is the thing about you know this. This is this go back to what I was saying. I mean, like, what's new to you is not new to others. I mean, they're gonna be in your face, like you know, your friends, and they're cool with you and drink, smoke with you, and sip whiskey with you, and you're excited about it because this is new for you. This is your new relaxation. This is your new investment and your peace of mind. That's not the same for others because they've been doing it for so long. They had it for many, many years. So, I mean, we have to get used to people really putting up a facade right there in front of you because I had no idea that this guy would be like that. But I found out a lot about a lot of them. I removed a whole bunch of them. You know what I'm saying? They, they're saying a lot of racist stuff. And I mean, I think that was a cruel remark that Kaiser made, very cruel remark. And I'm like, you know what I'm saying? It's heartbreaking, and, and but this won't be the first. It won't be the first, and it won't be the last time we hear something like this. It's gonna. It's, people gonna you know. You know. Sometimes people can't hold their water. You know what I'm saying? So, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, man, it, de it definitely is. It definitely is, man. But listen, brother, we, we appreciate you coming and getting your thoughts before we, you know, we let you go. Is there anything, you know, you have coming up, you know, any events? Obviously, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic, but I know last time I saw you, you know, you had some uh, a new clothing line or something that was coming out. Anything going on? Just let, let us know anything you got coming up with you. Well, right now, right now, uh, GNS have a, a, a subsidiary group for the young, for the young cigar smokers. We got younger people running it like right now called Cigar God, and it's hot. Like it's it's hot. It's, you know, we're we're putting things into the works. We, you know, we we getting our cigars together. We got a little, you know, factory we deal with, and we, everything is starting to come together. I don't want to expose too much, but you know, I'm going to plug you. You know, you Malik, y'all, uh, Malik Conway and uh, and Ryan. I'm going to put y'all on. You know what I'm saying? But cigar guys is hot. It's hot. 
All right, brother. Well, listen, man, I appreciate it. Yeah, you know, this is definitely uh, some knowledge, and it, it was good to, to have you on and, you know, talk to us about your experiences in the industry, man. And uh, can't wait till we open back up and, you know, we, we see you in person, man. Give you a, Hopefully I can give you a, a good hug and pound, man. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, Ade, thank you so much yeah, for coming on with it, brother. us, brother, man. For real, it was, it was great to have you on. Again, ladies and gentlemen, Ade, Mr. Ade McCoy, the original, one of the original founders of New York City GNS. Thank you so much, Aday. Have a good one, brother. All right. Shout out to Aday, man. Yeah, Appreciate man. him coming through. That's my guy right there, man. So let's, let's jump into the, the, the first topic of the night, and that's an update as to where we're at with respect to the criminal charges of the officers that brutally murdered George Floyd. So the latest is... I believe the rookie cop, if I'm not mistaken, just bailed out. Um, the main officer, the one that actually had his knee on the neck of George Floyd, is charged with second-degree murder, and then the three others are charged with aiding and abetting second-degree murder. So I just want to get into, real quick, the importance of the other three officers being charged. Because what I think constantly happens is you have officers, one main officer doing something, or even a couple of officers, main officers doing something, and then you have others watching while it's happening. And I think the officers being charged in the George Floyd murder, it's an important uh, moment in prosecution for officers because what you end up happening, what ends up happening is the, the, the officers that stand by and watch are just Definitely. as bad, they just as guilty, if yeah. not worse, because they see the the wrong thing happening. They see now, granted, probably a superior officer doing this wrong thing happening. So I understand that there's an inherent hesitation or apprehension. But your yeah. morals got to kick in. Yeah, though, because because one of those guys, I don't know, he was on only on the force for four days, and that that officer was actually his superior. He trained him, so. I mean, listen, I'm not making any excuses for him, but it's just that just shows you the culture is that you can't tell some your superior, you can't tell them anything, even to the point morally where uh, your superior is actually killing someone. So you need to even feel comfortable to even try to tell him that this is not what you should be doing. So is that more along the lines of bleeding blue for real? That's definitely, that's what where it is. Where you lose, you know, a part of being part of natural society. Because listen, I have friends that were cops yes, and family, man. military the same. That's crazy. I understand to, to do the certain job, you gotta tune in, and to, or tune out rather, and, and you, you just go into another zone. I understand the mind frame, but to be able to, I can't, I can't relate to it. No, I yeah, understand it. Not at all. You understand? But like, I just, that to me is the epitome right there of just, you know, you, you become part of this group, this yeah. brotherhood, yeah. you know, and they take you in and, and you forget everything else about whatever, you know, you had to do with your previous life. You really give it up. Yeah, you do. But I mean, okay, we're not talking about, oh, he you know, roughed him up a little something just to kind of prove a point. The brother literally was on the ground yeah, killing you. I can't breathe. <laughs> yeah. Please get up. And yeah. that's where the moral side of it should yeah. come in. Definitely. And that's where the brainwash part was what I'm saying. Like, yeah. these guys get to the point of being that they're for the team so much that they forget about, like, life. Like, yeah. realistically, yeah. Those, yeah. those guys deal with shit every day. Yeah. You know that. Yeah. You get desensitized. Yeah. You know, you get complacent. Yeah. You know, even though those guys were brand new, but you still knew what were right would right or wrong. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. So the thing I'm curious about now is now 
I've never actually been to Minnesota. Actually, what well, that's not exactly true. I had a layover in Minnesota one time way back, but I literally stayed in a hotel one night, hopped on a plane, and got my black ass out of there. So I never really got a chance to experience Minnesota, right? So it's not exactly a whole lot of brothers there. Like, I know Prince was from Minnesota. I know Kirby Puckett, the baseball player for the Minnesota Twins, was from Minnesota. But it's, yeah. Larry, <laughs> but it's not Larry Fitzgerald. Oh, where? Yeah, he's from Minnesota. Oh, yeah, he is from. Yeah. Yes, he is. He, he, he made a statement recently. He said he went back recently. He doesn't. He doesn't uh, notice what Minnesota has become. Like, it's not the same. Say so word. I never yeah, knew man. that. Okay, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Okay, so, um, but it's not exactly Detroit. You know what I'm saying? It's not exactly no. You know, uh, Watts. So DC. D, well, no, not, not DC anymore. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. That's the old DC thing. used to be Chocolate City. <laughs> yeah, DC you know, changed. Now it's, now it's Salt and Pepper City. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm very curious to see how the jury reacts if they go end up going to trial. Because we all remember Rodney King, right? And those officers that got charged with assaulting him. But they moved, if I remember correctly, they moved the, the venue out of L.A. County and they moved it to another county to prosecute those officers. And obviously it was really a jury of their peers because there was hardly any brothers and sisters on the, on the jury, if any. And they all got acquitted, even though everybody saw a clear as day, this brother getting his ass whipped like a cool 10 minutes straight, tasered, beat, kicked stomped so i'm curious what was the lie that they said about oh yeah 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 so so here's the funny part there was a narrative put out by one of the officers saying okay yes on video it shows us you know wailing on him or whatever but you have to understand he was high on pcp and when you have somebody high on pcp they're gonna have the strength of 10 men so yeah he was one guy and we were like five guys but you have to understand when you're on PCP, you're like the incredible Hulk. Mm -hmm. You're not, you know, you're not that that normal individual. Let's just stop there. Most of you guys, have you ever lived in the in the hood? Once in a while, some part of your life, you've come across someone who has smoked some dust or high on PCP. You know exactly what that guy looks like. So that's what they're trying. That's what they tried to that's say. Exactly. Exactly. They're actually so, trying to say the same thing with Floyd too. They're trying. Well, to they say, did until they did the toxicology. Exactly. Report. And that and that's what happened to Rodney <laughs> King. So. The narrative was just believed by everybody, black people included. You know, they were saying, okay, regardless of what he was on, regardless of the fact that he might have been speeding, regardless of the fact that he might have had the strength of 10 men, in the video, it didn't show him exactly attacking anybody. No. He was on the ground, just getting lumped up. So. It was like a pinata at a party. Bro, exactly. Because they all took turns doing it. Exactly, exactly. So then, even myself, you know, now granted, I was, what, 14 when that happened? Yeah, we were kids. Yeah. But. I all this for, until like the lat until probably about four or five years ago. I just assumed that the narrative that was out was the narrative that was true. Like, yes, he was speeding, he was high on PCP, but he, but I don't think he deserved to get whipped like that. And then, so, and sure enough, the toxicology report shows which, which the, the news didn't put like front page. Of course, they, but they won't do that because it doesn't paint the narrative that exactly. they're trying to they exactly. trying to portray. Exactly. So sure enough. No PCP in the system whatsoever. And it's so not surprising. What you basically had was five officers just whipping on the motherfucker for no reason other exactly. than. So I want to ask you a question real quick, Conway. You had yeah. mentioned that they had to move that case to another, another yeah. district, so to say. Yeah. How bad is it that the DA that was in charge in Minnesota 
had already a prior record of letting cops go. Exactly. To the point that the governor himself put the attorney general yeah, in charge. charge of the case. Yeah, because yeah. he had no faith in the, in the uh, state prosecutor. That's when you know it's bad. Or the county prosecutor, I exactly. say. You know it's bad. So here's, here's my thing. I'm, I'm just, that, and that's why I say I'm, I'm just very curious as to how this plays out. Does the jury who, just by the demographic of what Minnesota looks like, like I said, not a lot of us there, is it going to be an older, more conservative jury pool that gets selected, that, 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 that they get the 12 jurors selected from, where they're going to say to themselves, okay, well, they didn't intentionally yeah. murder him. Because yeah. keep in mind, murder in the second degree, I believe the, char the top charge that's being charged, yes. yeah. it's the intentional act, not yes. a reckless act. Mm -hmm. I, believe they, I believe they, they increased it to the, the intentional act, not reckless. So I'm curious to see, because at the end of the day, I don't care if this man gets convicted of some reckless charge and they give him like a cool five years. Like this should be top charge conviction. For sure. There should be no if, ands, or buts about it in terms of what that man intended to do. If you have a knee on somebody's waist or mid-back because you're just trying to pin him down to the ground and that person dies, maybe you can make the argument, okay, I had my knee in his back. How could I have thought he would have passed away? A knee on somebody's neck. He, now, he died of asphyxiation. Nine minutes. Right? Mm -hmm. If the person's heavy enough and the other person who's on the ground is small enough, you can break somebody's neck that way. Yes, you can. Very Remember, easily. Remember, when we saw the second shot, though, from the second camera, it showed yes. that all the other cops that were... Uh, I didn't even know they were behind the, tr the behind the truck when I first saw the first video. Mm -hmm. I only thought it was just that one cop with his you know, mm -hmm. knee on his neck. And... You know, my first instinct is like, you know, well, you know, get up, give a little bit of fight. And it's like, I was confused. Yeah, yeah. Until I saw the second shot. And that's when you see the other cop, like yes. you said, asphyxiation. He's got yes. two knees on his back. His chest is being pressed down into the ground. And he got another guy on his lower half, too. Yeah. So, I mean, he had nowhere to go. And he's handcuffed. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. It's, so you know, I, I would like to be optimistic, you know, considering protests that are going on right now it's it really warms my heart there's there's so many white people out there right now protesting which is really really cool um so because of that i'm hoping that whatever jury pool it because i don't see these officers taking a plea i see these officers no. being hard especially the main dude i see him being a hard ass and just being like you know what nah, well, like, i'm gonna I'm, shoot my shot yeah, yeah he's exactly gonna go, let me go to trial because because you know what he's gonna be thinking well, those officers in the Rodney King situation. And there's a lot more. Yeah, exactly. A lot more. We don't even know their exactly. names from exactly. a lot of other cases that exactly. we never even heard the names of the oh, victims. And especially considering former uh, Governor Klobuchar. Oh, understanding. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's expose like, it. Didn't even let's prosecute it. him on his previous, <laughs> you know, previous actions. Real so talk. he's probably thinking like, hey, look, I know everybody's mad right now, but they're going to get over it. By the time this thing goes to trial, it's going to be a Smooth year. Smooth sailing. They're going to forget be a about year it from now. This is just hot in the topics right now because maybe, maybe somebody else does another one. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because what's going on right now? The pandemic. Correct. So there's 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 nothing else to pay attention to. Because look, I've been a practicing attorney since 2004. If I'm representing him, I know what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, look, we got to drag this out as long as possible because that video is indelibly etched in the minds of everybody right now. Right? So, but the news cycle 
once it picks back up, once this pandemic is over, it's we got the elections coming up. Oh yeah, it'll you know be flooded. I mean, it's gonna be the the, the Republican uh, National Convention. We got the Democratic National Convention. We got the which we got the um. You already heard the news what what forty five is doing, right? Yeah, in Tulsa. Yeah, if he does that. No, it's not if he's no, it's not doing if. it. Yeah, it's already it's. it's, it's Real, real quick, I wanted to ask you a question, Comic. Yeah, I'm glad sure. you brought up and you let you know you let our listeners know that, attorney. that you are a practicing attorney, criminal, criminal, uh, criminal defense, criminal civil defense and civil rights. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you. I read this this morning. I thought of you. Did you know that he was? Um, he, the, well, supposedly, supposedly with, with air quotes. Yeah. Supposedly, he the reason for the delay in charging him is that they said that he was trying to work out a plea deal. Really? Before they before they brought him in. Yeah, I didn't tell you that this morning. I wanted to save that. Wow, but yes. Okay. What, what are your thoughts behind that? What do you think the reason? You know, I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on that. So, I'm sorry. So okay. So he was to use it as past tense. He was trying to work out a plea deal, which says to me that his lawyers probably came at them with some, hey, he'll give up his pension. He's obviously fired. Mm-hmm. He'll do a few months. You know, saw in in, 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 in uh, protective custody, mm-hmm. and he'll go about his business, right? That's what they probably or no jail time at all, maybe just probation, oh right? So because because why not? Oh, right? actually, it was uh, I'll tell you it was that it was a uh, state murder charges that he was going to plead to, and federal civil rights charges to be specific. Really? Yes. Huh? Then that would have been definitely prison time. That wouldn't have been a few months, but they they probably hit him with numbers. Where he was like, he oh, pants. yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like fuck that, exactly, exactly. But just going back to the the whole strategy of it, like I said before, you know, we're gonna have um, a big election coming up. You know, this is this is huge. It so is. It's, it's so it's a distraction. And then sports is gonna be coming back, and before you know it, which people have been dying for. So that's already exactly. gonna you're gonna tune out. So if I'm his lawyer, it's one of two things. Keep it's stalling. Approach them quickly and see if we can just put this to bed. And very minimal jail time, and or, and obviously, you know, give up the pension and all that, or drag it out as long as possible to the point where people don't even remember what happened. Because that video, gotcha. like I said, it's etched in people's minds. But that video led to the protests, and, and that's the next yeah. topic I want to talk about: these protests that are going on, and how police are responding, uh, and then the looters versus the the peaceful protesters. Um, so. It's just beautiful, like I said before. It warms my heart how many white people are out protesting. But what's even crazier to me is it's not just people in this country protesting. There's white people and people of all races out in France protesting. People in England protesting. Yes, they don't yes. even have a dog in the fight. Yeah, man. Like there's no real concrete incentive for them because when we're saying Black Lives Matter. Granted, you know, black people have it rough all over this planet, right? In different countries, different on different continents. But specifically in America, when we talk about Black Lives Matter, we're, we're talking about just the historical racism here in, in this country. Mm-hmm. So for people in France to protest, for people in England to protest, for people in just Europe in general to protest, they can just be like, well, that's an American problem. We ain't got shit to do with exactly. that. You know, we, we, we didn't have the institution of slavery for 400 years and... Jim Crow laws and all that so yeah for the most part black people are cool when they come over here so we can just be like yeah we're one of the good ones and not even say anything about it so the very fact that we have protesters of numerous backgrounds nationalities 
it's really, really a beautiful thing. Yeah, man, I was actually, um, you guys know, I live in a predominantly white town. Yes. Yes, you do. So I was shocked when we got, you know, Facebook, you know, things started going around. We're having a protest. We're going to have a rally. I was like, man, like, what? Really? Okay. And I was a little hesitant about going, you know, going out there just because. Tell why. Listen. <laughs> listen. <laughs> Tell them why you mad, Shay. Tell them why you mad, Shay. Y'all know, you know, you guys know my experience with, uh, you know, just perfect example. I was working in the office, you know, part-time. And I had, literally, I had two racist white guys that I had to share, up, like, literally on a whole floor with. It was just us three. And... I would listen to them talk. They were cool, though. They were closet racists. They didn't come out and just say it. But it was just obvious, you know, just speaking with them. They were very cordial, you know, conversational. But they would just say stuff. And to be honest, they were actually trying to stay stuff, say stuff on purpose because they wanted the angry black man to come out. Of course. Yeah, they and were I, trying to egg you on. Yeah. Trying to egg me on. I never, I never let it uh, happen. But I did listen to a lot of their stories. And there is an underground freaking, let's just say, terrorist uh, white nationalists that are going around right now. And... To be honest, I didn't want to be out in the protests with my kids, you know, and one of these guys come out and, you know, start spitting and yelling in your face. And listen, I'm from the Bronx, dude. You ain't going to step in my face and start spitting. I'm getting arrested. I'm just telling you that right now. So I was... And there's a point. Yeah, there's there's a point. There's There's definitely a point. point. Like, you're not going to come in my face and start spitting. So I I didn't want to put my kids through that. I, I would think that would be a traumatic experience. And that was my hesitation at first. But then spoke to a brother who actually lives in town. He's a uh, uh, Puerto Rican uh, gentleman. He's from Queens, from New York. And, you know, we're cool. And he's like, listen, man, he's like, that's what they want. You can't let that get to you. And, you know, I, you know, and then I said, you know what? He's right. He's right. Let me go out there. This is going to be something monumental for my children. So yeah. I went, man. But again, I say all I have to say, I was shocked by just the passion that these white people were walking around with. They had the signs. They, oh, one lady was naming all the people who have died from uh, police brutality, she knew the names. She was like, scream it, scream it. Like she was literally screaming at the top of her lungs. And I, I, got, I got chills when I heard that. I was That's like, wow, cool. dude. That's cool. So wow. you, you can actually sit here and say that it's kind of been a perfect storm in a sense because when you've had the quarantine happen, that means everyone has been home, right? And then you had this incident happen, this, this heinous, you know, incident happen. And... Everyone had a chance to watch. And not only watch, people were on their phones all the time now. Yeah. So you had some white folk now that didn't know about some shit before. Mm-hmm. That they, got, they had an opportunity now to learn yeah. and hear other sides and really take it in. Yeah. Because look how quick the knee went out for, take, for Kaepernick. Exactly. It's not a problem anymore. Yeah. Only to the ones that want it to be a problem. Yeah, but they were a problem to begin with. Quick right? little fact. I read this again today. Do you know the top 10 bestseller selling books in the past month? Six of them are about racism. That's beautiful. That's because, because they, I mean, look, that says a lot, right? It there. does say, say because a lot. I think when the initial, you know, Black Lives Matter slogan started, I think there was a lot of backlash because I think a lot of people just didn't understand what we were going through. And I think a lot of people thought, we were just saying Black Lives Matter as the beginning of a conversation out of nowhere. Yeah. It's not the beginning of a conversation. No. It's yeah. a retort. It's us saying, after being told non-verbally, but physically, that our lives didn't matter, we had to shout out. Proof's in the history. Yes, it does matter. So for people that thought, like, oh, we were just saying this just because we got cocky and we were like, you know what? Our lives matter more than everybody else. We weren't saying that. 
what we were saying was your actions against us showed us that you don't value our lives as much as our white counterparts. So we had to shout it out. We had to create a hashtag. We had to wear it on t-shirts. We had to put it on signs to let people know, yo, our lives are just as valuable as our white counterparts in this country. We're not second-class citizens. We're not, as the United States Constitution says, three-fifths of a man. Exactly. You see what I'm saying? So it's a retort. It's not the beginning to a conversation. But I also want to get into how the police are responding. So before I, I get into what I'm about to say, I, I don't want this to make it seem like I'm bashing all police officers. My experience with the police is specifically Yonkers Police Department and NYPD. My, in, in my your career experience. Yeah, exactly. in your career. And, and, and growing and up. And growing up as a black man. Of like, course. I mean, if you lived in before, New York. Absolutely. Before the career, there was me growing up in Yonkers in the Bronx. As a black man. As a black man. Correct. Exactly. So all, all of my, my experiences are, are specifically NYPD and, and Yonkers Police Department. But yeah. there's this retort that I always hear when people say, oh man, yeah, this happened. You know, the officers in, in, in the Rodney King thing and the officers that, that killed, you know, uh, Philando Castile and the officers that killed George Floyd. You know, it's one out of just a whole batch. Don't let one rotten apple destroy the whole bunch. Or not all police are bad. And I'm not saying all of them are. But here's the thing, and this is what I think the George Floyd prosecution or the prosecution of the, the officers that killed George Floyd, this is what it shows. When you're saying not all of them are bad, no, it's not all of them, but it's more of them than you're willing to admit because when you have that concept of blue solidarity, everything, yeah, brother, everything falls apart. It does. Perfect example. So there was a elderly gentleman by the name of Martin Gugino. Now, people might not know the name readily, but I'm sure everybody has seen the video. This is the video of the 75-year-old white man that was out during the protests that got pushed over by police, fell backwards, and cracked his head on the sidewalk. Now, to paint the picture, if you didn't see this image, you had probably about 75 cops mm -hmm. and one 75-year-old protester. Yeah. And not a healthy, spry... No. Like, <laughs> oh my God, he's 75? I can't believe it. No, I'm talking about like... Mr. Magoo elderly, like, yeah, like Mr. Burns on the Simpsons. Get off my lawn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. The, and, and, not, and I'm not trying to like, you know. Make light in front of or make I'm, light. I'm trying yeah. to just, like paint the picture yes. of this was not a spry. He was not a like, threat. He was not a threat. The furthest thing from, from it. The furthest thing from it. So what ended up happening was he gets pushed, cracks his head on the sidewalk. He's out there leaking. Ambulance comes. They pick him up, take him to the hospital, right? Now they say he's okay, but when you're that old, who knows what's going to happen? No, recently they say he has brain damage. Oh, there you go. Well, listen, 75 years old, he hit his head full, for his full, for that full force. Yeah. He hit his head directly right onto On the, the concrete. concrete. Exactly. He, he was so, in the same spot. So now peep the official report that the police initially filed. Oh, he tripped and fell. Is that really what they yeah. reported? Yep. Yeah. He tripped and fell. They did. So now everything and that's written in that report has to be thrown out so, once you see that video. So then the video comes out, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, that's not what happened. So then, and this is what I mean about blue solidarity. So then I believe the officers that pushed him were fired or suspended. Or they were suspended. Suspended. 
And then a majority, if not all, of the police in that precinct resigned in protest of those officers being punished or being reprimanded. Mm, that's insane. Are you kidding me? That's insane. Yeah, no, not dead ass. Like, you just saw on video your fellow police officers push over an elderly man and crack his head open. I, I, now, if you're going to say, hey, look, it was in the heat of the moment. They don't deserve to be fired. We're upset about that. Okay, maybe, maybe. But when you're going to... Before put, you saw the video. Yeah, but, but when you're going to put out, he tripped and fell. And then they get mad when there's a backlash. That's the problem. But that, did you hear with, uh, what 45 said about the, the gentleman? Yeah, he, he bashed him. He called him an Antifa. Antifa. Uh, 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 what is it? Uh, um, a what? You know, Antifa, that, Antifa, that, that the, the group that's from, group. yeah. They call the terrorist group. Um, but even From the left. Oh. Yeah, but it, what makes it worse is like, all right, so even if that was the case, let's just say it was the case. So he purposely went out there and said, you know, let me start something. And then he faked that he freaking hit his head. He was like, it was worth me going out there and getting my head bashed in. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? Like, come on. At the end of the day, that's still not an excuse. That, that's, that's not an excuse. Not at all. Not at all. So, let's get into our next topic, the who is out there protesting. So, we touched on it a little, saying that there is uh, a lot of white people, and, and that's, that's a beautiful thing. It really, really is. Um, but we also have, though, and I'm seeing it, but, and, and this is going to be a sensitive topic. I know it is already. Come at us, hit us up on IG, hit us up on YouTube comments, hit us up on Twitter, hit us up on Facebook. Mm -hmm. So we have in this country, a, especially in the New York City area, a large number of Afro-Latinos yes. in the country. So here's my take on that real quick. If a cop pulls a car over and there are four brothers in the car. Let's say it's a Mercedes E-Class. Let's say it's a nice car. Not crazy, crazy nice, but really nice car, right? And these four brothers in there that look like David Ortiz, how Sammy Sosa used to look like. Pre-Salmon yeah. Yeah. Sammy Sosa. Yeah. Pre-skin pre bleaching Sammy Sosa. Uh, David Ortiz uh, and Sammy Sosa, right? Mm -hmm. And they say, get the fuck out of the car. Do you really think... They're going to start speaking Spanish and saying we're not black. And these officers are going to be like, oh, our bad. They can try. <laughs> and I assume that they did it. But to the officers, there's no difference. They don't give a flying fuck. There you go. At all. So I say that to say, and once again, not all, but some, the, the, the denial is still there. Mm -hmm. And and it's not, it's not anything I take offense to because it, it really boils down to Lack of education. That's look. Yes. At the end of the day, we all came. If you're living in this country as a black person, regardless of where your your people are from, we all originated from the west coast of Africa. Now, our enslavers spoke one of four languages. You had the English, which brought slaves over to America, the Bahamas, Bermuda, Barbados, Jamaica, places like that. You had the Spanish brought slaves over to places like Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, Colombia, Honduras. Um, 
Mexico too on the low. No, Mexico did actually on the low. Yeah. And, and then not, and not then, a lot of people know that. And then the a low. lot of a lot of um, a lot of slaves actually escaped the states and ran to Mexico. Yeah. Yep. And there was a brigade of those Mexican Afro Mexican uh, the residents there that took up arms with the runaway slaves to protect them from the bounty hunters that were coming to get them. Facts. And then last but not least, which a lot of people don't know. The largest importer of slaves, Portuguese, which is why to this day the largest black country on the planet, not in Africa, nope, it's in South America, it's Brazil. So then you have a bunch of black people speaking Portuguese. So my point is, I don't care what language you speak, that does not take away your blackness. And I'm not saying, and I'm not trying to point out David Ortiz to saying he doesn't admit no, that no, he's no, black. No. I'm just, I'm giving you the example of somebody that's from another country, a Spanish-speaking country, Correct. that's a black man. Well, mm-hmm. listen, I can identify, you know, exactly yeah, what that, right. yeah, exactly. You know, so at the end of the day, you know, by, you know, quote-unquote, your nationality, right? I am Puerto Rican, right? But what a lot of people don't know is that we, like Conway was saying, our countries were inhabited by... African slaves, Chinese slaves, and let's not forget the, the, the original people of the islands, the Tainos. The indigenous yes. people, yeah. So, you know, it's tough because when you go to some of these countries like DR, you know, where it's one or the other, you know, you have the one side that was really colonized by, colonialized by the Spaniards in the Spain, in Spain rather, and you could see that their skin is fairer and they, 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 they decide to side with you know, uh, staging up against the other side of DR and Haiti because of the skin color. Mm-hmm. And this goes not just for the country side, but that's even here. Oh, yeah. You know, you'll see, uh, you know, I've heard, you know, I've been called personally, I've been called nigga before by Cubans, white Cubans in Miami. Wow. Yeah. They get kind of crazy too. You know what I'm saying? But again, it's not realized like fam, like you, you, yes, you have blonde hair, blue eyes. Okay. But if we really dug dirty into, and dug deep inside yeah, that yeah, little bloodline of yours, exactly, exactly. there's some black in you as Guess much as you want to hate up. that. Exactly. exactly. Guess what's going to pop up. So, you know, it's sad though, that a lot of us don't identify with our history. And I think it goes to a point of a lot of us not really knowing how the history, um, you know, the, the train, the history train went for yeah. most of these countries. Yes. You know, realistically, you know, I'm not, I have never been schooled, you know, over there. So I don't know how the upbringing was in the school system. But, you know, over here, they pretty much, you know, separate everything. We don't have a history here in our history books. No. No. You know, and a major point that I wanted to say is that America for itself decided that somewhere down the line that it was going to, you know, make this grand plan and keep us down and, and, and some of y'all might hear that and be like, oh, here you go again with that. <laughs> it's the truth, though, because yeah. we had to learn white history, right? And the only inkling of mentioning of people of color of any sense were when the Indians got taken over from Christopher Columbus and black people were slaves. It just miraculously popped up out of nowhere and were just slaves yeah. in the history line. And if you target that also to some of you who may be religious, you know, you, you also learned that, you know, we didn't have uh, 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 we, didn't, we didn't have a history because we had to learn about the Jewish history. We had to learn about the Egyptian history, which didn't reflect what we were either in these books. And again, we learned everyone else's history, whether it was religious histories and uh, history books, but we never would learn or taught our own histories. 
And we had to learn on our own. And think about when we were coming up. If our parents didn't have the books that were black market books, they weren't mainstream. Or the knowledge. You know, or the knowledge to share, then you didn't get that right knowledge. You just got what America wanted you to know. So speaking about that, in terms of learning white people's history and not ours, I wanted to just say something about how there's a lot of people, specifically uh, Midwest, down South, um, when they talk about white privilege, and white people will say, well, my life isn't easy either. And I just want to make a, a point very, very clear. It doesn't matter who you are. Mm-hmm. White, black, brown, yellow, purple, polka dot. Life isn't easy, period. It's hard for everybody. For everybody. All we're saying is your life was easier. Not easy. No, it's true. Easier. And the only thing that made it easier was the color of your skin. Yeah, you got more opportunities than... Which is the definition of racism. Correct. So hypothetically speaking, let's say life is a race with hurdles, right? And everybody has the same hurdles, right? White, black, brown, yellow, polka dot, stripe, doesn't matter, right? Everybody has the same hurdles. So when white people run in their race, they're like, yo, I'm running the race and I got the hurdles just like you. So why are you saying I have privilege? I had to go over mad hurdles to get to where I'm at. All we're saying is, yes, you had the hurdles just like we did, but we had a 100-pound weight vest on our backs yeah. as we were trying to run those hurdles. And, and then when you would jump over a difference. hurdle, there'd be a pit of lions, yeah. and then there would be a, a wall you got to climb through, and it, you know, it, it, it's just... And, and that's all it boils down to. Here, you know? I, I heard an a, a analogy when it comes to you know, the topic you're speaking about, comparing economics to a monopoly of, of how we were as black people. So the analogy was, imagine you're playing Monopoly, you're a black person, and for 400 rounds of going through Monopoly, you, um, you, had, you had money, you didn't have money or anything on the board. You were just playing. So it was like you were just playing for free. So you, you, would, would, you would pass go and not be able to pass go <laughs> and you wouldn't collect anything. <laughs> then finally, after 50 rounds, you know, you, uh, you, you, you gain some money, so they start giving you some money. So now for the next 50 rounds, you're getting money, and then all of a sudden, boom, they just come and take it away. Tulsa. Rosewood. Keep going. You can keep going. Boom. All right? Wait, wait. When you say Tulsa, explain to the people. Some people, regardless black, white, whatever, don't know what you mean by Tulsa. So Tulsa, in the 1920s, we were building black, when I say us, Black community was building a whole community of banks, retail stores, just families. We, we, we had wealth. We were building wealth in this, in this small town in Tulsa, Oklahoma. A.K.A. Black Wall Street. Black Wall Street. Black yeah. Wall Street. And all of a sudden, they, you know, come on, they were like, excuse me, what? You guys are trying to, trying to come up? No, we're going to debt all that. Let's burn this shit down. And they came and burned down the whole damn freaking town. They tried to report only 30 people died, but they, they said... Realistically, over 100 people died. And not even just burn it down. They drop bombs from helicopters. Exactly. But when you say, when you talk about the number of people who died, and and not to trivialize the the deaths, but the number almost doesn't matter. It's demoralizing as a people to finally be able to puff your chest out and say, yeah, look at what we've accomplished. Look at what we've done. Look what, through hard work and perseverance, look what we were able to do. 
And just when we started being able to kind of feel ourselves and feel good about ourselves as a people, keep in mind, this is in the 20s. Yeah. Before the civil rights movement, Jim Crow was still alive and well. Just when we thought, oh, okay, we got something going here, mm-hmm. boom, eviscerated. So then imagine after 450 rounds of playing Monopoly, and then after that, you know, after the 50 rounds, they, they bomb you now, they tell you, all right, start all over again. How the hell are you going to catch back up on that game? There's no way you're going to win. Game, it's it's rigged. It's rigged from that from that point. So when people try to say, oh, you know, you know, stop making excuses, or you guys had all types of opportunity, you try to come back again using the analogy of Monopoly. You try to come back and win a game of Monopoly, not even win, just even get close after 450. Be competitive. Be competitive after 450 rounds of losing on a game of Monopoly. You tell me, just you know, stop making excuses. You can do it. We, we you have the opportunity. Come on, man. Like let's let's just stop that. So that brings us to. Talking about history, the history of us protesting in this country. So we're all 80s babies here, right? In terms of our first memories, it's, a, it's the early 80s for us. Um, I'm born in 78, Leek, you're born in 79, Rod, you're born in 80, right? Correct. All right, so our first memories, just in terms of being able to remember anything as, as children, 83, 84, at the very earliest. Yeah, I mean, um, unless you had some crazy traumatic shit happen. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. So... So obviously we're not going to be, you know, uh, in terms of our memory, you know, we can read up on it, but we're not going to be well-versed in what happened in Selma or, you know, original March on Washington, things of that nature. But we remember the Rodney King riots. Yeah, that was actually the first real, like, incident I remember where it was like, holy shit, like, this is... So to take it back a little further, so protesting could take two forms, right? It could be marching, it could be riots, right? Correct. So the first riot I remember was definitely Rodney King. Rodney King. Mm-hmm. In terms of protests and marches, does everybody remember Yusef Hawkins in Brooklyn? I, was, I believe it was Bed Stuy, to be exact. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. That's when he went into a white neighborhood. And yep. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just crazy how you know over this time we've had just numerous examples of. Incidents happening where we're like, okay, is this ever going to end? We're just constantly having to march. And then when marching doesn't work anymore, they wonder why it gets violent. They wonder why. Now, I'm not saying I agree with smashing things and starting fires and running up in stores or whatever, but... What people are trying to do is put logic to a situation where it's not logical. It's, it's not. raw emotion. It's not. Raw emotion. You're not thinking about, huh, I think I feel a certain type of way. I think I will leave my residence, go outside, and throw a brick through a window. It's, it's not a logical thought. It's, it's not. And that's where these names, like you heard, with today's situations going on with the protests, you hear the Antifas and you hear these... Riot starters. I mean, you have protesters. You have. I think there's three there's sets three. of people. Yeah. You have protesters. You have looters. I mean, sorry. You have rioters and you have looters. Yes. Yeah. All right. And the looters are going in with one purpose and one purpose only. They're going in after everyone has made a name and and you know caused the ruck. You know, speak their mind to get the crowd going. And you got the rioters to get people going fiery wise. And then you get these people who come in and just they're in for, you know. Destruction. That's really what it is. But you got to think about why are they doing it. 
specifically the looters. Like, what caused them to get to the point where they said, you know what? I'm going to jump through a broken glass window <laughs> and go steal some shit. So that has to go to opportunity. Exactly. Because they're what poor. Is they don't have anything. They're poor. Exactly. They're poor as hell. And this is their chance. And it's sad. Understand. This is a sad statement. But it's very realistic for a lot of people. They're poor. And the only time they're going to get a chance to touch this TV, to touch this phone, to touch that bed. The Gucci, because that's what everybody's talking about. <laughs> is to, to partake in these, the, you know, in, in these lootings. And then the message ends up getting lost in translation. No, it does. It does. But here's the thing, though. Keep this. Four years ago, mm -hmm. a brother by the name of Colin Kaepernick, Correct. quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers of that particular year, took a knee during the national anthem to signify his protesting the treatment of black people by the police. When he did such, people had a huge problem with that. A huge problem. Now, keep in mind, all my man did was stand on two legs, bend one leg, and put a knee on the ground during the national anthem. And people had this huge problem. So now, I, I ask you, which do you want? Do you want somebody to just stand in silence and take a knee? Do you want people rioting in the streets? Do you want people marching in the streets and protesting? So we, we tried the peaceful protest. That didn't work. Nobody wanted to hear what he had to say. They hijacked the whole narrative of... Disrespecting the military. Exactly. Well, disrespecting the flag, the disrespecting flag. the military. And I'm glad you brought that up. Drew Brees, quarterback currently for the New Orleans Saints. I'm, I'm, I want to get you guys' take on his apology. Because up until very recently, up until he clapped back at number 45, mm -hmm. I thought his apology was much bullshit. It was very generic. It was, it was, <laughs> to me, it was something sim similar to like how this guy from Gurkha decided to just try to come out with this like political, uh, you know, statement. You know, yes. like, it was very just, it, 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 there was no emotion to it. Real quick, not to cut you off, right? Because I just, I'm looking at the live and uh, Mike, my man Iron Mike, just asked a question. He said, dig deeper into the veteran who advised him. Story. Well, again, oh, yeah. I was going to touch on that. And Mike, thank that, you for so. saying that. You know, yeah. thank you for jumping the gun on that segue for us. Shout out Mike. was good. Mike, brother. thank you. Thanks, Mike. No, real talk, though. So, Conway, I was going to ask you that. Mm -hmm. Since you had mentioned Colin taking the knee, right? Mm -hmm. What people don't know, though, is the history behind where the idea came from for him to take that knee. See, when you say people, when people don't know, I, I think it's more people chose not to listen. Because that story was out there. Now, I agree with you. It was definitely out there. But again, the narrative they get portrayed through these media channels, exactly. it's only a certain few outlets that will actually... Exactly. So, essentially what the story behind it was, was Colin Kaepernick was fed up with how we were getting treated by the police. He said to himself, okay, I have this amazing platform. I play for the NFL. The NFL is the most popular sport in America, Sunday, listen, and this is how popular the NFL is. The NFL has hijacked the Sundays away from the church. That's how popular the NFL is. So Colin Kaepernick is on a prominent team, San Francisco 49ers, his legacy. They won multiple Super Bowls through the, through the 80s with Joe Montana. It's a historic uh, franchise. So he said to himself, I have a platform. I'm really educating myself about who I am as a black man in this country and what our history is, and I want to be able to protest 
what's going on with us in these streets with these officers murdering us how do i do so in a way that garners attention but at the same time not being disrespectful to the flag so he had a particular individual that was a, a friend of his who i believe if i'm not mistaken was a navy seal he was a seal okay i know he was definitely military and he asked that friend i want to protest but i don't want to be disrespectful to the flag because i i'm an american i love america but i want to show my frustration about how we're being treated how do i do so in a way where it gains attention but or garners attention but not being disrespectful and that particular military personnel said to him well when we have a brother in arms that's passed that's been slain that's fallen what we do to show respect and rest in peace to that particular individual is we take a knee. Mm-hmm. If you take a knee, not turn your back on the flag, not sit down and just do something else. Taking a knee is a also show of not making bikinis and boxer shorts yeah, well, and yeah. everything else that that's is really disrespecting <laughs> the yeah, flag. Yeah, yeah, but that's like, you know, yeah, let's talk. just be real. Get her done. So yeah. We make sure we got our flag bikini briefs on. Yeah, exactly. Real talk. So. Colin Kaepernick said, okay, cool. That's what I'm going to do. Now, number 45 took that and ran with it and said he's being disrespectful. I believe he called him a son of a bitch. Sons of bitches. Get him off my yeah, field. Exactly. Exactly. And then all of a sudden, it's he's being disrespectful. He's being disrespectful to the troops, disrespectful to the flag, disrespectful to the country. And Drew Brees doubled down a couple of weeks ago. Or about a week and a half. No, about, about a week ago, yeah. Week, what, week, it was yeah. real fresh. Week, yeah. And said, you know, I'm never going to agree with the disrespect of the flag or whatnot. Now, what I think happened. You that he get it. He, he apologized, I, I want to say the next day. Yeah, but he had no choice. His PR team was yeah. like, listen, you're going to have to come out and say something. But, or, or you're going to get sacked every game. Yeah, <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna, yeah your offensive line is not going to block. <laughs> but on top of that, you know what's sad about it, too? Yeah. And I will just, you know, it's not to, to, to you know, twist the narrative a little bit. But real talk. Remember what Katrina did to that region? Yes. And Drew Brees was a pivotal person in the rebuild for that. Definitely was. So, you know, he went from a beloved person to all of a sudden, because he doesn't understand the meaning of what the kneeling meant, he lost his whole city's backing. Yes, very quickly. Because of that. Very quickly. See, but here's the thing, though. When you say he didn't understand what the kneeling meant, I don't think he took time to even try to understand. He didn't want, yes. All he saw was, you're disrespecting my flag, and that's it, end of story. Correct. So, two things with that. Number one, I think the initial apology was bullshit. I think, like you said, his PR team was like, yo, you're you're kind of fucking yourself right now. You're about to get cut. Yeah, you got to apologize. So, I think the first apology was bullshit. I think he just did it as, I don't want to be viewed as a racist, or I don't want to be viewed in a negative light in this city, because New Orleans is a very black city. Right? Yeah. Unlike Minneapolis. (laughs) So I think he just threw out a bullshit apology. Now, what redeemed him in my eyes was when Donald Trump was like, yeah, don't apologize. You should. I'm sorry. Shouldn't even say the man's name. Number 45. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, you shouldn't apologize to these people. Basically, fuck those people, right? Exactly. exactly. Drew Brees went in on him. (laughs) So what I think happened in between the apology and him going in on number 45, I think his teammates sat him down and was like, yo, take a seat real quick. We got to educate you about some stuff, about what's been going on in this Mm -hmm. country and what we're trying to do and how your view of things is very skewed. 
very skewed. Luke, you were about to say something. Yeah, here's a quick question. Another question from uh, Instagram. Bees, Bees Maddox was good. Um, he asked, do, you, do we think the NBA players are going to agree to come back and play? Or not even so much. I can take that even a step further. Do you think they're going to kneel every game? And are the owners going to actually go in, for that? In the NBA? And, and, no, NFL specifically, since we're talking about Drew Oh, Bees. I think at this point in time, if an NFL owner comes out and tells his team how Starbucks did today, because, you know, Starbucks Starbucks today, by the way, mm-hmm. made sure that all their employees are not, they are not allowed to wear anything that's Black Lives Matter related. Nothing. Yes, I'm, I'm dead serious. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. Yeah. Wasn't it just two years ago they had two brothers sitting in there waiting for somebody <laughs> and they just got arrested? Yeah, Starbucks, Starbucks? Has a, has, they have a history with this. Yeah, and obviously crazy. you can just see where they're going Motherfuckers with it. really don't learn. No, they don't. They don't because they're blinded by the dollar and in their minds they think that... See, but here's the thing, though. If you took a step back, you say you're blinded by I was, the dollar. I'm hoping you're going to go where I, was, I think you're going to go. You're, you're about to fuck up your black dollar. Which is a large portion of the spending power yeah. in this country. Yeah. Like, wow. Yeah, man. Wow. So they did that. I honestly don't think that the NFL owners, anyone who comes out right right now and says, don't take the knee, don't uh, don't make any mention. That, I, mean, I think they're committing suicide for their own self. Yeah. Because the other owners within would have to get forced... They would have to force this guy out. Mm-hmm. It's just going to happen. It's happening across the world right now. Well, across the nation with people in their jobs, all these cops. I don't know if you saw the rally. I forgot where it was the other day. But these two... One guy was a corrections officer from Jersey. So it had to be here, actually. Mm-hmm. And another guy was like uh, in the police academy. And when the protesters were going by, they mocked the George Floyd situation all over again. While, yeah, the, the, when the correction yeah. officer had his knee in the back of the, yeah. the academy guy, they're both gone. Yeah, fired. They're fired. Beautiful. We fly, you're fired. Fuck them. <laughs> Fuck them. Yo, because, all right. So, so the answer, it, well, just to answer that question, yeah, no. Yeah. I, I honestly don't see NFL owners coming out. There's going to have to be a bigger push from Roger Goodell to make a statement where I know, they, I know he works for them, but at the same time, He's got to turn around and tell these guys, this is the narrative that the NFL is. This is what we stand for. If I'm not mistaken, the NFL, I want to say, is anywhere between 75 and 83% black. Well, what did Roger Goodell say in his speech to, to everybody? He said, without black Americans or black players, there would be no NFL. NFL. That's real talk. And it's a facts. fact. Yeah. If facts. every black player stayed home on Sunday, you would have training staff, medical staff, and like some water boys and the punter. A couple punters. The punter and the kicker will be out there for some offensive line. That's it. All right? So I highly doubt that. nobody's coming to see them. No. And the biggest, the sport that makes the, that has the biggest revenue in this country is football. And they know that they need to correct their ways that they've gone wrong. And still to today, Roger Goodell and the NFL have not apologized to Colin Kaepernick, which I believe he deserves an apology. On top of that, the man has been blackballed and hasn't had an opportunity to get a job in years when he's been better than backups and some starting quarterbacks that have been playing the last few years. Real talk. Mm-hmm. All right? So nice. he's been blackballed enough, and it's to a point where we all know what you're doing. We all know why you're doing it. Now, what are you going to do from this point on to correct it? So here's my, my take on you know, Goodell, what he had to say. The fact that he didn't mention Kaepernick's name so every, everything he said is like, okay. That was bothersome. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, okay, you, you made a statement. Cool. But you didn't address but it all. Exactly. You should like, have addressed it all when you had the platform for yeah, it. And he didn't do it. 
So again, that was very purposeful. That wasn't like oh, it was strategic. It was very strategic. And it's sad because again, the narrative is a gentleman who started a peaceful protest, which is what is part of the Constitution. If I'm not mistaken, you're allowed to do your peaceful protest. You know, he did it in a manner speech from freedom of assembly. He was mentored by a Navy SEAL. You know, he never ever said that you know the military doesn't mean anything, America doesn't mean anything. He was drawing light to something. And everyone who didn't want to hear the message made their own conclusion to what he was doing. Facts. So, speaking about the message, the message being hijacked, let's talk about the White House. So, we're not going to mention his name, like we said earlier. So, number 45. So, obviously, you know, and, and I'm, I'm so glad we did this live today because I was originally going to talk about him taking that photo in front of the church with the Bible. <laughs> Which was one of the most fakest, like publicity stuff. How many seen generals have had, had to come life? to the general interviews? The general apologized. Yeah, a couple of them have apologized. Yeah. One guy resigned. So that was initially going to be my topic of conversation for this, you know, particular topic in terms of so the White House's response to the issue at large. But I just found out a few hours before we went live, number forty-five is going to be where and doing what with who. Tulsa, Oklahoma. Dude, my, my skin boiled when I fucking read that article. So tell him tell so what's going on He's starting his campaign yeah. mm-hmm. for his re-election. Mm-hmm. And don't get this twisted. All right? This was very strategic. Very. When, he, when, is it, when is it again? It's on Juneteenth, which is June 19th. Juneteenth in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah. But, but my white friends that I speak to, oh, he's not a racist. <laughs> so, just to give a little uh, background on, on Juneteenth, and oh, anybody that's listening, by the way, um, we are having a Juneteenth celebration here at the Cigar Lounge, Smoking Ashes, 200 Wall Raven Drive, Teaneck, New Jersey, 07666. We are still not officially open because of the quarantine and the pandemic. However, we do have a little patio, we do have a parking lot. We're gonna get it popping out here. We're gonna have a little tailgate party. We're gonna have some food trucks out here, all black owned businesses come out, show support, support black business, specifically on on Juneteenth. Yeah, just so everybody knows, like Conway said, and I was gonna plug this in later, but since the topic is here now, we are encouraging a tailgate event. So we do have limited seating in our little patio area. Remember, we still have to maintain social distancing. Yes. So, um, you know, we, we have setups, you know, we're adequately spaced out. But what we're doing is we're spacing out all of our vendors throughout our parking lot. And we're allowing them, you know, space so that you can also come in, park your car, pull out some chairs, sit in the back. We'll have music playing so you'll be able to hear it wherever you're sitting. Like Conway said, the food trucks will be out. We have uh, uh, verified foods that are going to be out here with their truck hove cooking up the, the the seafood delicacies. Yes, sir. You know, and his French fries, which are crack, by the way. If you haven't had, <laughs> you haven't had anything from Verified, I suggest you make sure you come by on Juneteenth and sample that out. We we'll also have coffee and cornbread here. Yes, sir. They're going to hand out uh, some swag bags, and they're going to, uh, you know, uh, definitely support the the Juneteenth event with bringing in some light to their company and their business as well. Shout out Monique from uh, Coffee and Cornbread. Yes. Yeah, Monique yes. and Mo. Yeah, Monica, yeah, Monica. big time. Great, great big food. up. Great food. You got to check them out. When you come down to Smoking Ashes, we'll make sure one of these nights we'll get them to stay open late. You guys got to sample their foods. You know, and, uh, besides Coffee and Cornbread, we have uh, also have uh, 
Chico's Oils, which is a, a, a gentleman who is uh, down with us and we sell his products here in the shop. Uh, Smoking Ashes is all about, you know, the holistic approach, you know, us being people of color, we heal differently. You know, we're not about that opioid life. So, you know, we sell some of the finest top line CBD products available from Chico's Oils. He's going to be here as well, sampling, handing out samples and has products for you guys to, you know, see if you would like to purchase. And again, it's just a celebration event, you know, for us. And it's not the way we wanted to do it. We wanted to take over the whole parking lot, which we will look to do next year and get in five times the amount of vendors here. But again, everyone's been stuck inside and it's just about time where, you know, the orders are getting lifted on the 15th for us out here to have, you know, outside events and everyone needs to get out. And, yeah. I, and, and I understand it, you know? You've been cooped up for four, four months, five, yeah, three, more, three, three and yeah. a half months. Yeah, three and a half. So yeah. I understand. Come I understand. out and socialize. Be around your people, man. Be around good people. While well, at the same time, still social distancing. Yes. Absolutely. Definitely. And listen, Definitely. we're going to be very, you know, very, we're going to be sticklers with it. Yeah, we're going to be responsible. Yes. But going back to the original point of, yeah, of, of I mean, Juneteenth. On, this dude. So wait, <laughs> so no, so June, Juneteenth, though, specifically. No, I'm not talking about 45 anymore. You got enough of our attention. Yeah. So and for those who don't know, we don't June, know yeah, yeah. what Juneteenth yes. is. It's essentially so slavery ended, and in 1865 with the Emancipation Proclamation, and June 19th signified the last day when I think the last slaves were informed of the end of slavery. So yeah. that was June 19th, I believe, 1865, if I'm not mistaken. So let's not let that slide either, because this was the era of. No, you know, it was the telegram error, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. So obviously they got the late notice. But that, and that's what we speculate though. Real talk from the, some of the stuff I read, obviously some of the slave owners heard rumors of the emancipation yeah, and decided we're, we're not going to tell them nothing until, you know, it becomes a big enough topic and then, you know, let them figure it out later. And why would they? Why would they? And with that, let's get to our closing thoughts on just the topic uh, at large of what we've been speaking about today. Ryan, I'm going to throw it to you, let you uh, speak first. All right. So, I mean, listen. We're living in a time right now that is uh, very disturbing yet very enlightening because it's a moment where you're, if you have younger children or if you've never experienced something like this, you're seeing things for the first time in a manner where, you know, there's an uprising for our people finally and people are fed up and it's a beautiful thing to see because voices are being heard, stories are being told and people are listening. and. It's up to you out there, the listener, if you are a person of color, okay? It's your duty to continue this message way after this whole travesty comes to an end. You can't just fight now. You gotta fight consistently. Facts. And you gotta put your money where your mouth is. And I'm not gonna just talk shit here because we are black owners of a lounge. I'm not telling you just to come here and spend your money here. All right, that's not what I'm telling you. What I am telling you is... But you're not not saying that. I'm, but I'm not not <laughs> saying that, of course, because we, at the end of the day, we're still a black-owned company. Yes, sir. So come down to your local businesses, support them. There's no reason for you to not support your black-owned businesses. And the stronger that we make that, that, that plea and we support more, that'll empower us more and get people in better positions to make other changes. Soon that business owner owns two businesses and then he might have an opportunity to run for your mayor of your town or your district you know he might get into politics or she might get into politics we need more of our people out there with more voices and 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 i will definitely say something to our, our latino community as well too listen at the end of the day if you were from the caribbean there is black in your blood 
And if you want to walk around here and act like you're not and that you're better than, then shame on you. And I'm saying that for myself being a Puerto Rican, okay? Because I know where my roots come from. I know my history now. And you should take the time out and learn yours. Stop taking what people have taught you. Stop taking the, the messages that you learn from school. Brainwashing. The brainwashing. Take time and get off your Pornhub, get off of your Snapchat, <laughs> get off of your Facebook, do some research because we're in the era of technology where there's, there's no excuse for you to not know your history and anything you want. Well, if they were on Pornhub, they were, they were getting off. But that's, well, that's oh, another story. Shit. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <man. laughs> How did I not hear that one? You set yourself up for it, brother. Oh, shit. No, but but yeah, the yeah, point, yeah. though, is, all right, listen, just identify with yourself. Know who you really are before you open your mouth, okay? And at the end of the day, yes, I understand the plea. I hear it all the time. I have family members I fight with as well, too, that are mixed. You know, they're not all just Italian. They're half Puerto Rican in there. Yes, and if you're watching this pod or you're listening to it, you know I'm talking to you, cuz. All right? So understand what's inside of your blood and open your eyes to the problems that people of color have been dealing with for fucking centuries. Okay? This is not decades. This is not just something new. It's centuries. And I'll, and I'll keep going on a tangent. I will clip it. But we got to break the systematic racism in this country, which people don't realize and they don't understand because they don't know the history. Yes, right now we're all sitting here. Yes, we all have, quote, unquote, the same opportunity. But at the end of the day, no, we don't. Okay? Because if you know Malik goes and puts in a resume for his, a job with his name and you have John Smith and they're equal yeah. freaking resumes with equal GPAs from whatever college they came from, yeah. guess what? Malik is not going to get the call. Yeah. Unless it's a black person in charge of HR at that time. Yeah. All right? And that's real talk. And that's been Facts. going on for a long time in this country. From hiring to schooling. I mean, Kama, you, you went to a HBCU. Yes, sir. HU. Bye, okay? Son. So, I mean, you know, I, my, own, my own daughter right now is, is to a point where she's just like, you know, I want to go to an HBCU. Why? Because I'm tired of being taught the narrative of what everyone wants me to know. So, my message to you guys today... On my rant, my, this is garbage rant, okay? <laughs> Get educated, take some time to learn your history, and then when you do, then come out and speak. But don't just speak off of an impulse, off of a history that you were taught that's not really yours. And I'll be very, very quick. Support black businesses. I'm tired of hearing... Well, again, because I worked in corporate America for years, and the excuse is always, well, again, let's just grant it. They don't know the history. They don't. They don't want. They don't want to know our history, and they're they're speaking off of ignorance. Oh, you guys have all the opportunity. No, no, we fucking don't. No, we don't. So if that's the case, let's build our own. Let's build a new Tulsa. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and how? That. And the only way we can do that is supporting black businesses. Break that mentality. Don't don't, don't let this whole narrative that we don't own anything. Yeah, we, we don't own as much as we should, and we we spoke about why early in this podcast. But there are black owners out there. Support them, and when you do support them, just because you're black, don't ask for a discount. No, and it yeah. doesn't mean that it's that, cheap. It defeats the whole fucking it does, purpose. Yes. It defeats the whole yes. purpose. Black owned doesn't mean it's made cheap. I'm okay? tired of people coming in here saying, oh, oh my God, you guys charge $10 for a glass? Like, really? Would you say that same shit if you went into Midtown Manhattan and went to a white establishment? Would you complain about that shit? No. 
Come so on, brother. You know that. how it is, man. Stop Give me a little that, discount, man. man. Come on, brother. You know how it is. Ah, stop we got to break that. We have, have to, to break, break that. that. The only way we can come up is by us creating our own building. And we can't do that by ourselves. We, have, we need the support. And I'm just speaking that because I'm a black, black business owner. I'm speaking for all the black business owners out there. Facebook just started a group here in Jersey specifically to, uh, to help other black businesses to yeah, support one light. another, bringing light to supporting black businesses in the area. And that's just specifically here in New York. What's the Jersey. Black Coalition Group? Black Coalition Group. Shout out. I love it. I love shit like that. Perfect. So let's continue that, man. Stop stop with the excuses. Stop going to freaking Gucci and, and all these name brands. They're not doing nothing for you. They all, put, these, yeah. all these rappers that's yeah. naming songs literally after a fucking uh, clothing brand. Are they paying you? They giving you money? And you know that brand don't give a shit about they you. They don't give a fuck about you. So stop it, man. So again, I'm so that's my little soapbox. <laughs> support so, black businesses, yeah, man. Definitely, definitely. Conway, what are your closing thoughts so on this? So I'm gonna just actually look at it on a, on a macro level. What's happening to us in this country with respect to the way we get treated by police isn't a black problem. The reason I say that is because the fear that the police or the fear that white people have of us isn't our problem, it isn't our fault. We're actually not doing anything to cause you to be afraid of us. The only reason that that happens is because of lack of exposure to us. This isn't a black problem, this is a human problem. So all the white people that are out here protesting with us, arm in arm, holding up signs, saying Black Lives Matter, we really truly appreciate it because I think the message that's starting to get across to them is it's not impacting them directly, no. But at the end of the day, it's not a black problem. It's a human problem. Correct. So we appreciate all the support that we're getting from our white counterparts that are out there marching yes, with definitely, us. Definitely. And with respect to um, how we get treated by the police, I wanted to just take a brief moment and give a salute to all the fallen soldiers, list of slain black men and women at the hands of cops in this country. Breonna Taylor, Tamir Rice, Michael Brown Jr., Philando Castile, Eric Garner, George Floyd, Trayvon Martin, who wasn't killed directly by police, but killed by a wannabe cop and coward, Ahmaud Arbery, again, not directly by police, but people who thought that it was their duty or their uh, responsibility yeah. to take it upon themselves to hunt us down. And all the names that I just mentioned, this is all within the last eight years. This is not even a decade, all within the last eight years. And also a salute to the, to the many people, men and women who I didn't name, who lost their lives in the struggle. And I just wanted to have just a brief moment of silence for all of them. Um, before you uh, close us out, yes, you had mentioned that all those names that you did mention were within the last eight years, but sadly, three of those names were also within the last three months. Yeah, yes. Okay, it's, it's happening way too quick. A, a clip of us being systematically just lynched, essentially. So, so to touch on something real quick before you go, guys, yeah. you got to go out. You have to put pressure on your local. Governments, you have to yes. put pressure on your councilmen. You have to put pressure out there in the polls when it's time for you to vote. Okay, I know. Listen, I, at heart, you guys will learn through these pods. I am a conspiracy theorist. I am. 
okay, and I have my 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 things and my well, my thoughts rather on certain topics. But who you? Yeah, I know. Oh, really? I know. You? No. Yeah, no. Come on. I, I didn't think so either. <laughs> but but at the same time though, they cannot deny us when we're out there in numbers. Okay. Yep. So let's put in the people that we want in office and get the ones that we don't want out. Okay. We've already got one. What was the gentleman? The, the, I usually call him a gentleman. What was the asshole that got kicked out of uh, recently? He got voted out? The senator? Oh, and uh, damn, what state was that? Was that Iowa? Yes. It is Iowa. Iowa. Yes. What was his yeah, name yeah. again? Uh, it doesn't even matter. It yes. doesn't matter. But yeah. We He's got gone. one of these racists out. Felicia. Bye, Felicia. Bye. <laughs> All right. Use your power, guys. Use your voice. And don't let this fight slow down or stop. Keep pushing. Keep pushing the narrative and stand up for what's right. And on that note, it's a wrap for this episode. As usual, hit us up on the tab below on YouTube for your questions and comments. For those listening on the podcast, hit us up on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at SNA Live Podcast. Now, usually I sign off with a quote from Shirley Chisholm, but in light of the theme of this particular episode, we got a quote from Brother Malcolm. Malcolm X. That's not a chip on my shoulder. That's your foot on my neck. Peace. We out. Later. You have just been listening to the SNA Live Experience.